I hope I don't trip on this. I've never, I don't think I've had both of these up here before, but um, uh, my name is Dennis. I am the pastoral apprentice here at Parkway. Um, I, uh, our pastor will be back uh, preaching next week, right? They get back, did they get back today? Yeah, okay, so he will be back next week. You only have to put up with me for just this one more Sunday. So, um, yes. Anyhow, this last week I was at a pastor's conference down in Southern California, and um, just so many um, preachers, well, uh, great speakers, encouraged uh, pastors from around the world. There were about 67 nations represented at this conference, and it was just a time of refreshment for, for my soul and the many pastors that were there, and we were all fired up. We just wanted to come back to our home churches to preach. Uh, I just hope that that passion that I have to preach will match my sermon prep, so I can be passionate, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a good sermon, but... Uh, <laughs> So our, our passage this uh, morning is, is it's going to be in Psalm 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 13. And the psalm reads, To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the reading of God's word. May he bless it. Join me in praying one more time, brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to preach your wondrous word. You say in your word that you've exalted your name and your word above all things. And so, God, I pray that as we approach you this morning in worship through the hearing and the preaching of your word, that you would move in a mighty way, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that we would not just hear with our physical ears, but God, that you would cause us to hear with our spiritual ears, that our hearts would receive this message. And Lord, as I preach, I, I do pray that I also would receive it personally, because I, um, I also must hear this, this word that you've given us, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that Christ would be exalted this morning, and that I would just walk freely in who I am in him to be able to deliver this message. God, I pray that you would be honored through the preaching of your word this morning. Give me an extra measure of grace, Lord, to speak your word and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a, well, before I go to that, um, what, how, how are you guys doing? You know, this, this is a rhetorical question. How are you guys doing? It was rhetorical. <laughs> um, so, 
So um, just, just keep that. You don't have to verbally answer that, but um, answer that in your, in your minds and in your hearts. How are you guys doing this morning, really? I have a friend by the name of Brian Ward, and, and, and a lot of times I'd come up to him, and when, when I'd greet him, I, he'd, uh, well, he'd greet me, and he'd ask me, how are you doing? And I'd say, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm doing fine. And then he'd ask me, okay, tell me how you're really doing, Right? Um, because a lot of times we, we, we come through these doors on Sunday and we, as Christians, come with a facade on. And we're, we're portraying or reflecting something other than the true state of our lives. There's this song that plays on the radio, and some of you guys might know it. The, the lyrics, the, the title is First. Um, and the, this is the chorus. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read it. Um, Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. Before I lift my cares, I will lift my arms. I want to know you. I want to find you in every season, in every moment. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. I I thought about those lyrics for a while, and there was just something about it that really didn't settle with me. So I kept pondering about it. Hmm, okay, so what is the author of this song trying to convey? It sounds like she's saying um, she, she would, it's like she's trying to prescribe to us that take your troubles, take the worries and the cares of your life, put them on timeout, put them to the side, and come to the Lord with praise first. Rather than addressing those things, address those second. We need to come to the Lord with praise and worship before we address the cares and troubles of our lives. And um, again, there, I think that song has, a potential, has the potential to give us the wrong prescription as to how we can actually know God and, uh, and, and commune with him as he would have us. Because listen again to the lyrics. It says, um, be, she... Her desire is to know God more. She says, I want to know you. I want to know you. And her method of doing that is um, coming uh, coming to God in his throne room, not by addressing her problems and her cares and the worries of her life first, but through praise and worship. What's interesting, though, is that as we, we read in Psalm 13, that's not David's methodology at all, right? David doesn't come saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I love you, Yahweh. No, he comes, and he begins with a complaint. He starts with a complaint. He ends in, in praise. Again, how many of you, how many of you this morning have come through these, uh, these church doors, this building, the building doors that we have, and have been greeted by someone asking you, how are you doing? And you told them that you're good, that everything is, is well. It, you have this attitude of, uh, it is well with my soul, right? I think that as Christians, we have the tendency to, to come to the Lord with this, I'm too blessed to be stressed attitude, and uh, you can, we, we can get away with it with, with people and with other Christians, but when it comes to the Lord, there's no fooling him. He sees it all. He, he, he knows. We, we can approach him that way. We can come to the Lord praising him, but deep down inside, well, there, there's, there's, we're, we're miserable. We're, there's things in our lives that are weighing us down. The, the, world, uh, the weight of the world is on our shoulders, and, and we, we're, we're tired. Some of you guys are tired. Some of you ladies are tired. Um, and some of you guys have come into uh, this church service this morning with a facade on your face. 
Do yourselves a favor this morning. Be honest with the Lord. He wants you to be honest with the Lord. He wants you to open up your heart to him and, 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 and lay it all before him. If you're really not praising the Lord, be honest with him. You don't have to put up a front say, and, 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 and uh, give this attitude that, you really, uh, that everything is fine when it's not all good or it's, it's not fine. How how do we deal with, um, because living in a fallen world, we are confronted with trials and tribulations. Sometimes we have um, moments of respite, moments of peace, and and maybe that is you today. But for the most part, life is always, it's one storm after the other, right? And, um, And we're not exempt we're not exempt from suffering. Even Christ himself in Matthew chapter 4, it says that uh, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Christ himself was, uh, was not exempt from suffering. He went through a trial, and it was actually God that led him through that trial. And this morning, um, we're... If we're, we're putting on that facade, um, we've got it all wrong. Um, the, the Lord, what, what God wants you to know, what God wants you to see this morning from his word is, is, is to, to be honest with him. He gives us in this psalm, Psalm 13, written by David, a prescription of how to find joy and peace in the midst of our suffering. How do we relate to God when he feels absent? How do we relate to God when he feels distant or we don't feel his presence? Uh, in this psalm, I believe God gives us the prescription of how to obtain or arrive at that joy or that peace with God. And uh, so he gives us the, the blueprint here. It's, it's our roadmap this morning, Psalm 13, to go from hopelessness to, to, to being burdened and tired to, to, to peace. And, um, and so we're going to look at Psalm 13 this morning. And um, notice the structure here in Psalm 13. Uh, the structure is, um, it's divided, you can divide this psalm into three stanzas or three strophes. Verses one and two, David's complaint. Verses three and four, you have David's prayer or David's petition. And uh, verses um, five and six, you've got David's praise. Uh, this is a lament psalm. The, in in the uh, in Hebrew, there are two forms of lament. There is the communal lament where the entire congregation joins in lamenting, and then there is the personal lament. This psalm this morning is, is a personal lament of David. And, um, and, and David just does a, he does a masterful job of creating this piece of literature for us, this, this poetic uh, masterpiece here. Uh, if, uh, it, it begins in, in the storm, Right, he he begins saying, "How long, O oh Lord?" He's in the storm, and then it ends in calm seas. Uh, imagine that. Uh, remember that passage if you've read through Jonah when he was trying to boogie away from the Lord. He was trying to run away from the Lord. He he ends up get, going on a ship, and there's this storm at sea, and the mariners on that ship are afraid, and they ask Jonah, "What should we do in order for this uh, uh, in order?" For this storm to be dissipated. And he tells them, throw me overboard and, um, and your lives will be saved. They throw him overboard. And verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 15 says um, that the sea um, or the waters ceased from its roaring. 
And so it begins, this, this psalm begins in, um, in, in, in the storm, but ends in calm and peaceful seas. Uh, David does a great job in, in, in trying to uh, convey his, his life situation to us through, um, through poetry. And um, my mind's all over the place, I'm sorry. Um, so... We're, we're going to look at this psalm, and in order for us to find um, our way to joy or peace with God, there are three principles that we need to draw out of this text. And those three principles are, uh, first, come to God with your complaints. The second, come to God with your prayers. And the third, come to God with your prayers. The first thing, the first principle, come to God with your complaints. Verses 1 and 2, you have David complaining to the Lord. Have you ever heard anybody tell you to quit complaining to the Lord? What's David doing here? He's complaining. He says, and, and listen to his complaint, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? There is a, in, in this complaint of David, there is a digression um, from, uh, in his complaint. He begins, uh, it's uh, three-dimensional. His first complaint is, is directed towards God. His second complaint is directed inwardly in himself. How long must I take counsel in my own soul? And his third complaint is directed outward in his circumstances. His enemies are exalted over him. And, um, and so um, look at um, his first complaint to, directed to the Lord. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David is in, where David is at in his life right now, he, he feels abandoned by the Lord. The, he, does, he doesn't feel the presence of the Lord. He doesn't sense it. He feels as if God is distant from me. And notice that um, it, it's quite, you, you see it popping out of the page. He says, how long, how long, how long, how long? He says it four times when the, in Hebrew poetry, if you want to convey something, um, if you want to get people's attention, you use repetition. And in using how long four times, David wants you to, to, uh, to sense the emotion that he's going through. How long, O Lord? It can be translated, until when, O Lord? Until when, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Can you, one, one of the reasons that people love the Psalms is because we can relate to the psalmist in so many degrees. And how many of us can relate with David here when he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever been in, in, in a season in your life where, where you don't feel God's presence? You don't feel the joy of the Lord. He feels absent from you. And sometimes even when you're praying, it just feels like you're speaking into the air as if God really wasn't there. Do you feel what David feels? 
It, it could be whatever situation in your life. It could be marital struggles in your life. And like Veronica mentioned, it could be a season with your children where things are just not going well, or it could be something going on at work or a medical issue. You yourself may have a, a medical issue that is, um, that is, that's just weighing you down or somebody that you know, some close relative or some close friend is going through a medical issue and you are weighed down. And in, 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 in this season that you're in, this, this season of suffering and trial, you feel like God is not there. You feel like God is distant. Where are you, Lord? How long? Until when, O oh Lord, will you hide your face from me? What God wants you to know in order for you to find peace and joy in him is that you can bring these complaints to him. You don't have to put on a front. You don't have to put on a facade. You can be honest with the Lord. How long, O oh Lord? How long I've been in this season for so long and you feel nowhere close to me. I feel so alone. I'm surrounded by so many people and yet deep down inside, I feel so alone, Lord. Like nobody understands the struggle that I'm going through with my family. No one understands the troubles that I'm going through with my friends or my coworkers. I feel so alone. Where are you? How long will you hide your face from me, will you forget me forever? He feels abandoned. Have you felt how David felt? Notice the second part of his complaint. It's inward. He says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? Uh, the, uh, the NIV uh, translates this, this verse uh, quite well. It says, um, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And uh, when God feels distant to us, when he doesn't come to the aid immediately, our tendency as fallen creatures is to move inward and depend upon ourselves. If God, okay, God's not answering my, me right now, so I'm going to try A, B, C. And if A, B, C doesn't work, I'm going to try X, Y, and Z. Without consulting God, we, we, because he's not immediately answering us in our situation, we lose hope and we lose faith in God thinking that we can do this on our own. And so, uh, and, and so he says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? That's exactly what David is doing. He's, he's struggling because he's given up on God. God seems uh, absent from his life right now. And so he looks inward. He looks to his own resources and to his own devices to get him out of this mess, whatever mess that he's in. And then he says, as a result of looking inwardly, looking to self, being autonomous. It says this, that I and, and have sorrow in my heart all the day. To lose faith and to lose hope in God brings sorrow. That is the consequence. If, if we lose hope in God and trust in ourselves, it will result in sorrow. That's where David's at. Are you there now? Are you in a place or have you been in a place where God seemed distant, God seemed absent, his presence, you didn't sense it, you, he, you just had, the feelings weren't there, and then you, you look to yourself to get yourself out of whatever situation that you're in, whatever trial, whatever suffering. And then his third complaint, it's outward, right? He says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? There's not enough historical context in this passage to tell us exactly what was going on or where this took place. Likely, it could have been 
um, the time when um, David was running away from his son Absalom, who was trying to revolt against him to take over his kingdom. It could be, it could be that. Uh, we don't know, but um, we don't really need to know the exact context, the historical context in order for this to be relevant. We just know that he had enemies that, were, that seemed to be winning the day against David. And, and, and look, again, look at the digression of his complaints. Uh, when, when he loses hope in God, he loses faith in God, his faith is waning, he looks inwardly, and there's no hope, there's sorrow, and then as a result of um, losing faith and losing hope in God, David not only finds sorrow in himself, but he, he, he looks outwardly and he looks at the circumstances of his life and he sees his circumstances as bigger than God, right? When we take our eyes off of God, the world and our problems and our circumstances become bigger than they really are. The second thing that we need to know in order for us to achieve or to arrive at a place of joy and peace with God in the midst of our suffering is we come to God. Uh, you come to God with your prayers. Um, li- listen to David's prayer. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Consider me. That can be translated, look. Look and answer me, God. And this, is, this prayer is directly connected, uh, connected or related to the, the, the complaints that he had. Um, God seemed distant to David. And so his first prayer to God or his request to God was, look at me, God. Consider me. And what's interesting is, although the first two verses seemed as if it appears that David has lost all faith and all hope in God, but then in these next two verses, in verses three and four, he prays to God. That is actually a sign of life, a sign of faith in David. So he begins with complaining to God, but he doesn't stay there. You know, so the first thing that we need to do in order to achieve or to arrive at hope and joy and peace with God is, again, bring your complaint, bring our complaints before God. Don't hide anything. Lay it bare before him, but don't stay there. We're not to wallow in our complaining to God. We're to bring those before him, but we are to make our requests known to God. Consider and answer me, or look and answer, look and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, the expression of God looking at somebody, or have, um, or, or God having His face look upon His His people, signifies His favor. This is what it says in Isaiah sixty-three, verse fifteen: Look down from heaven and see. From your holy and beautiful habitation, where your zeal and your might, um, where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts of your compassion are held back from me. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 25 through 26, it reads this. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so David's first prayer, his first request to God to look or to consider him is for God to show favor to him. God, show me favor. Have your face, look at my face. Look my way and consider me. No longer abandon me. No longer leave me on my own. But, but Father, but Yahweh, because that's his audience, he's speaking to the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, and D. He's speaking to the covenant God of the Old Testament. He's talking to Yahweh and he's asking him, Lord, consider me, look at me. I don't know how many of you guys are married here. I'm pretty sure nobody ever argues when they're married, right? But um, if you have, um, have you ever been in an argument where um, one of the spouse gives the silent treatment? I think that's, 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 that's probably one of the worst ways that you can um, uh, get back at your spouse by giving them the silent treatment. Because they feel, uh, in, in, in giving somebody the silent treatment, they feel alone. They feel abandoned. And, um, and, and to, to have... To find resolution by, by not acting as if that person isn't there actually brings great relief and great joy because there is unity again. There's, okay, you, you've turned to me again and I sense your love. But when, when the spouse, or, or it doesn't have to be a spouse, it can be a friend, um, uh, no longer avoids you or ignores you, there's a sense of relief because um, the unity in, in that relationship is restored. And so that is exactly what David is requesting from God. Look at me. Be united to me again. Consider me, O Lord. No longer be distant. No longer um, uh, abandon me in my situation, but consider me where I am at and answer me. Lift my, uh, his, his, uh, he says, lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. And, and this, uh, this request to, to lift up my eyes, David's plea for God to, to lighten up his eyes is a plea for God to restore his strength or to enliven David once again physically. Um, brightened eyes resembled vigor and strength. This is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 27. But Jonathan had not heard when his father... Put the people under oath. Therefore, he put out, put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. The context of this was that there was fighting with the Philistines and um, Saul had given a, um, a decree that nobody should eat. Jonathan wasn't there at the time, and when he came back, he dipped his staff in, in the honeycomb, and, and he ate. And when he did, it says that, uh, and when he had um, that honeycomb, it says that his eyes brightened. And so when David asked the Lord to lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, he's asking God to, to reinvigorate him physically. He feels drained uh, you can't separate the two, uh, the, our, our physical nature and our spiritual nature. God's made us to be, 
spiritual beings and physical beings. And when we're spiritually not doing well, when we're depressed um, or or when we're anxious or bitter, our our physical bodies do reap the consequences of, of our spiritual state. So when David requests the Lord to lift up his eyes, he's asking the Lord to reinvigorate him because he's so tired. He's drained from the conditions of his life. It's affecting him both spiritually and physically. But our, 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 what do we do with that? Um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 reads this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we, when we come to God with our complaints, we don't stay there. We move on by making our requests known to God. And then lastly, we come to God with our praise. He closes in verses 5 and 6. He says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You know, what's, what's interesting here is that, look at this. He, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. David, is, David has his answers prayer right here. Not, not, not in all of his requests because he had three requests, right? His request, his first one was, uh, was in relation to God, for God to no longer forget him um, and um, to, to turn his face to him. His second one was inward. Um, with him taking counsel in his own soul. And the third request, or the third complaint, regarded um, the, the enemies around him. And, and notice here, t- uh, he says in verse 5, this is still all happening in his, his prayer. We're, we're looking at the prayer closet of David's heart. And so it's not like he paused and went somewhere and came back. No, this is all one prayer. And he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. What was David's prayer? Uh, the, the first prayer was it was to the Lord to turn his face. And, and, and what does he say in this last section? When he's praising God. We, 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 David is going from a, a stormy start, a stormy beginning to calm seas. Look at his response. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. The seas are calming down for David. And, and he's not immediately delivered from his present circumstance regarding his enemies. There's nothing, uh, he doesn't talk about being delivered from his enemies. But he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your, in your salvation. What is the cure for his present circumstance, his present suffering, his present trial is that he looks backward 
He, he, he looks back. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. So David begins to recall maybe all of the times that God had delivered him in the past. When God helped him to, to, to wrestle the bear. When God helped him to um, escape Saul. When God helped him to escape the Philistines time and time again. When God helped him to defeat Goliath. So David is looking backward in the steadfast love of the Lord. And in looking backward... He, there, he hopes in the future. David, uh, he says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. And because of his steadfast love, his, his showing his faithfulness in the past, he rejo- he's able to rejoice in the future. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And he closes by saying, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Again, he's looking to the past. He's looking to the faithfulness of God. He's looking to the character of God. And this is what drives David. This is what brings David peace. It is the character of who God is. It's not immediate deliverance from his circumstance. David is not rejoicing because his enemies are no longer exulting over him. His enemies are still exulting over him, but his joy and his peace and, uh, and, and his, um, his love for the Lord transcends his circumstance. David's, D- David's joy is not found in immediate deliverance. David's joy and his peace is found in the character of God. So I don't know what you guys are going through, whether it's familiar, familial, whether it's marital, whether it's work things, work-related issues that you're going through, medical, your, your immediate joy should not come from immediate deliver, deliverance from those things. Your greatest joy comes from knowing the steadfast love of the Lord. Look back to his faithfulness, and that's how you can rejoice. And this should, be, this should free you up because whatever situation, whatever circumstance that you're going through, it's, you're not in control of it. You don't have to. David's um, joy isn't found in resolution to immediate deliverance. David's joy is found in the steadfast love of the Lord and how the Lord has dealt bountifully with him in the past. So you fill in the blank. I don't know what you're going through. But whatever it is that you're going through, look back at all the times that God has been faithful to you. And if you don't remember a time that he's been faithful, you just look at the cross. He delivered you from the, your sins. He, you who were once alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, you and I who once were enemies of God, now friends of God, children of God, in the kingdom of God. So hope in that, hope in the character and in the nature of who God is. That is where our hope and our joy comes from. It's not immediate deliverance from your circumstances. Look at this. This is, I think, when I thought about this passage, I thought about Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. It seems to be like an, it functions somewhat like an exposition to this uh, Psalm 13. Where, where Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And remember how that passage started. In Romans 8 verse 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Even, uh, even Paul roots his joy, roots his hope, not in immediate circumstances, but it's first rooted in the gospel, in the cross of Christ, and he has hope in the future because of his union with Jesus Christ. And so no matter, even if, if you weren't to be immediately delivered from your circumstance, your trials that you're in, you can still hope and joy in the Lord because your joy and your, your hope is found in him. This is what Job, did he not say in Job chapter 13, um, uh, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Even if God snuffs me out and takes my life away, I will praise him because he is worthy to be praised. He's a faithful God and I can have hope in him. And doesn't this, this, uh, this hope in God, isn't it most reflected in our Lord Jesus Christ himself? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus, uh, for, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus is our greatest example of how to hope in God. He wasn't immediately delivered from that suffering that he went through. In fact, he had to go through it. But he didn't abandon God. He didn't, he didn't run away from God's calling to suffer. He actually went through that suffering knowing that God was with him. And, even, and that no, knowing that God would deliver him. Not immediately, but a future deliverance. So for you uh, who are going through suffering right now, some trial in your life, just know that there, even though you are not immediately delivered from that circumstance, that there will be a great deliverance to deliver you from all suffering, all trials, and that's not yet to come. That is to come. That is, that is the way to have hope and joy in the Lord. It's in his character. It's not in, it's not in what he does for you. It's in who he is for you. Look to the Lord. Look at his faithfulness. You want to know God it's not to bypass suffering. It's not to come to church or um, come to your friends putting up a facade, putting up a front, saying it's all good. It's coming before the Lord, opening your heart to him, complaining to him, but not staying there, praying to him, hoping in him, and then praising him because you've met him and known and, and seen his character. There have been many times where I've wanted to give up on life. There are many times where my faith was tested, my Christianity was tested, and I was in a place where, where I wanted to give up and wanted to abandon the faith, and yet um, the Lord was gracious. The Lord was faithful in bringing me back to, to showing him, himself to me. It was through his word that I found hope and peace. It wasn't immediately um, being delivered or taken or lifted from those circumstances. It was through God allowing me to behold the glory of the Lord to have hope and peace. That reminds me of this passage right here. Um, in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." So you want, you want to become like Jesus? 
You want to know God? I don't think it's how the author wrote it in her song by not addressing your issues or your life situations to him. No, it's by you come to know the Lord by coming to him with your complaints, praying to him and hoping in him. That is how we come to know the joy and the peace of the Lord, hoping in his character and who he is for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much that you've been gracious to us and that you've shown yourself to be faithful to us time and time again. And Lord, I, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning going through trials, that, they would, that you would lift up their face to gaze upon you and the glory of who you are in the face of Jesus Christ and that they would see that you are a faithful God who will not abandon his people. Even if it means that we're not delivered from our present trials, we can have joy in knowing that there will be a future and permanent deliverance from all of our suffering and from all of our trials when Christ makes all things new. God, we look to you this morning and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.